Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we continue our study of Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Today is session 10. Uh, if you've missed the other sessions or any of the past uh, Wednesday Bible studies, you can find them all uh, either archived uh, on the YouTube channel at rickandbubba.com. Just go to the playlist there, click the Wednesday Bible Study, uh, and you can uh, walk back through some of the past sessions in this series or our series past. Uh, if you have some you can't find or it would be easier for you, you're going to be riding around and you just want an audio archive, then just go to Burgess Ministries, my last name, BurgessMinistries.com, uh, and click on the Listen button. You'll see Wednesday Bible Study there. Click on it, and all the audio archives are there. And it's easy to search different series as well. A couple of things going on from TheManChurch.com. Uh, TheManChurch.com is uh, the hub uh, for men's ministry. This Wednesday Bible Study started out. Uh, now it includes uh, men and women, but it started out as a men's Bible study, and at times it was still lean that way. Uh, but themanchurch.com is a hub for men's ministry. We offer resources for you to reach and then disciple uh, the men of your church uh, and your community. Uh, and we have a 40-week curriculum. Uh, we've got a brand new one coming out at the end of March, so there'll be two 40-week curriculums. We have resources for individual men, uh, the small groups, uh, we'll help you with re, uh, men's gatherings and events. And with that being said, uh, we'll also come alongside uh, maybe events you already have. Uh, and if you are listening uh, to this uh, on the, the week that it was actually recorded or is now streaming live, for those of you watching live on the YouTube channel, uh, we have uh, some events coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, Friday, February the 26th, I'll be at Fairview Baptist Church in Columbus, Mississippi, uh, they're going to be putting people, uh, the men in this gathering will be going into the small groups using uh, our Pursuit 40-week curriculum. Uh, we'll be plugging them in, so I'll be offering a message of high challenge, and then we'll move them into these small groups where the high equipping will take place. That's part of our discipleship strategy. That is a free event, uh, but you do, need to, you do need to go register your name so that you have a seat because of the pandemic and the, the spacing and all of that. Uh, you can find that at Burgess Ministries, again, Dot com under events. Saturday night, now this is a ticketed event. The tickets are $10. Uh, children uh, 12 and under are free. I should say boys 12 and under are free because this is uh, an event called Becoming a Man of God. Uh, it'll actually be hosted uh, by Eastern Hills Baptist Church, but it will be held Saturday night, uh, Saturday night in Montgomery at the Renaissance Hotel and Convention Center. And they're going to have an expo and bluegrass music and a lot of fun. Uh, that you as groups of men or guys, you and your your son can have a good time, and then I'll have the message uh, that evening. So that's coming up Saturday night on the 27th. Again, Burgess Ministries under events for all the details. And then on uh, March the 5th, uh, I'll be at the True Grit Men's Conference, and that one will be in Gadsden, Alabama, uh, at Union Number 3 Baptist Church. Uh, and I'll be with uh, Wilburn and Wilburn. They'll provide the praise and worship. And I'll be bringing the message uh, and be part of that conference. So uh, look for, for all these events. There's many others uh, that are coming up for the rest of 21 uh, by going to BurgessMinistries.com and, and looking under events. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's jump right into this week's Bible study. Lord Jesus, be with us as we today learn the difference between your wisdom and ours and help us to take this and apply it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So that's, uh, that's session 10, God's wisdom uh, and ours. And I, I think that we, um, 
we have made a mistake uh, uh, by thinking that there is some equality uh, with God's wisdom and ours. There, there, there really isn't. Uh, God, uh, God's independence and his self-existence and self-sufficiency uh, is something that we don't quite have. But, but I, I like how J.I. Packer talks about, you know, there's certain characteristics of God that we're not in on. I mean, we, we, we're not given access to. Um, I love this statement, and I don't remember who to credit this uh, to, but I remember learning it in, a, in my own life. Uh, the more that I do learn about God in this series, the more that I know God, the more I realize that I'm not him. Uh, and so there, the, he describes these as in communicate, uh, in, 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 impossible to communicate characteristics, meaning it's impossible and they're uh, incommunicable, meaning it can't be communicated to us uh, certain characteristics of God, and they are his alone, and man, is, we don't share any of these. And, and these are things, you know, when you talk about being omnipotent, uh, omniscient, omnipresent, you know, the mean he, meaning he doesn't change. Uh, he's completely consistent. He's infinite. He, there's no beginning and end to him. Uh, he's not limited by time and space, back to omnipresent. Uh, there's no conflict of his desires, uh, meaning with his being omnipotent and omniscient. Uh, he knows everything. He's all-knowing, but he's also never wrong. There's nothing inconsistent about his wisdom. Uh, he's never torn or indecisive. There, there's no flaw in God. And these characteristics of God, we're not in on. We don't share these with him. He didn't communicate these to us. But uh, when he made man in his own image, and you see this uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, that uh, you know the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Say they, they, they say three persons, one God, let's make man in our own image. Well, what that really means is now they're going to, man was created human beings, man and woman, uh, woman coming uh, uh, soon after, but, but mankind uh, was made in the image of God, meaning there were some characteristics of God that were uh, communicated to us. And, and some of these qualities were uh, goodness and, and truth, a uh, holiness, which is never very popular, uh, righteousness, um, you know, etc. God made man a free spiritual being, uh, a responsible moral agent with powers of choice uh, and action, able to commune with Him and and to respond to Him. Meaning that we had the potential, we had the potential to be godly. So if if you have your Bible, we're going to spend a lot of time. I'm going to be calling out, calling out a lot of verses. Uh, from the book of, of wisdom, Ecclesiastes. Uh, so go ahead and turn there if you're at, in a position where you can. If not, remember that. Uh, and uh, look what uh, look what Solomon says in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter seven, and he says this in verse twenty nine. Uh, he kind of touches on what I what I just said. He said, "See this alone, I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes." So God made man upright, and he made man with the ability to be good, the ability to be truthful, the ability to be holy, the ability to be righteous. We were able to commune with him and and, and respond to him and, and, and having this potential to ultimately be somewhat part of God because we were allowed to be godly, meaning that some of these characteristics that he did communicate to us, that's what people mean when you say, uh, you know, uh, uh, when Paul writes to, to young Timothy, uh, and, and he says this in, uh, in uh, 1 
Corinthians 3.12, if not, if not, I mean, Timothy, not Corinthians, 1 Timothy 3.12, if not, it's 2 Timothy 3.12. It's, it's one of those two letters. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on which one it is. I know it's chapter 3, verse 12, when he says, all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. You've heard the term, is, is this a godly man? Is that a godly woman? And what that means, does this human being have any of those uh, attributes of God, these characteristics of God that he did allow us to have. Remember, there's some that we're not in on, uh, but there are some that he allowed mankind to, to have, a part of him made in his image the potential to be godly. And, of course, we, we know what happened. Um, that's, that all was, was foiled when mankind failed. So talking about J.I. Packer, he says the moral qualities which belong to the divine image were lost at the fall. So we had this potential, uh, and, and God was allowing it, but he made us spiritual beings who were allowed to choose uh, and to take action. And uh, we, as humans, decided that we would break the, the one rule that God told us not to break, and that was that we would go against him, and we wanted to be... Uh, we were convinced by, by the adversary and, and the accuser. We were convinced that there was something that God was withholding from us, that the way he had set it up wasn't right, he, that God was wrong by forbidding us access to this one tree in the garden, uh, this fruit. Uh, so you have to think about that way. That, that was us saying that God's characteristics that we were not in on, that he really isn't the way that he said he was. Uh, because he he's he's made a mistake by telling us not to go and partake of this tree, and of course all these qualities which belong to the divine image were lost at the fall. God's image in man had been universally defaced for all humankind has in one way or another lapsed into ungodliness. See, when I was studying this, I'm learning a lot through this study. Uh, for those of you that are watching this and listening to this, I'm learning so much because I don't think we ever stop learning about God if we're willing. He doesn't hide himself from us, but he's going he's gonna to delve himself out to, to us in pieces that we can consume as we continue to grow. And I'm learning because these, these phrases like being godly and ungodly, I've just been haphazard with them. But when I understand what we're saying is that we had the potential to be godly but because of the fall, we defaced a God's plan of us having characteristics of that, that he did communicate from himself to us and allowed us to take on. So when we, when we refused those or when those became corrupted by the fall, then we lapsed into a, a more of a design that was ungodly. And, and then from that point on, when we come into this world, we come in with the seed of, of being ungodly, but praise God, we can be made righteous again through his plan of bringing us back into that proper relationship uh, from the son who took on human flesh and came to us when we could not come to him and providing the only path back to these characteristics of God that he had allowed us to have. It's through Jesus that we can go back to being godly. It's through Jesus that we can go back and be fully righteous. It's through Jesus that we can go back and, and the Holy Spirit make us holy, uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus provides us 
that access back to these characteristics uh, that we defaced when we chose sin over God. God is at work in Christian believers to repair his ruined image by communicating these qualities to them afresh. This is what Scripture means when it says that Christians are being renewed in the image of Christ. Now, you will find that. There's two places, uh, to Christ and of God. Uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Write that down. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then if you want to talk about that we're being renewed into the image of God, you find that in Paul's letter uh, in Colossians. Uh, you'll find it in chapter 3 and in verse 10. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. So one of the things that that, that uh, theologians say was also uh, a communicated attribute of God, meaning something we have access to, is wisdom. And that's where we're going to land today. Uh, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, if you're ever wanting to look at, at how God, you know, allows us access to, to wisdom and wisdom that comes from God, not wisdom that comes from mankind because that's not the same thing, then the first nine chapters of, the, of, of Proverbs are, are single sustained exhortations to seek this gift. Uh, you know, in Proverbs you see wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go Guard it well, for it is your life. That's Proverbs chapter 4. And then look, write down verse 7, and then do a comma and write down verse 13. So, so you see that, uh, uh, once again, we're, uh, Solomon in Proverbs, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for this is your life. Remember, Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. You can be very knowledgeable and not have any wisdom. Uh, wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and use it correctly. Uh, wisdom is personified and made to speak uh, in her own cause. Blessed is the man who listens to me, God says, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord but whoever fails to find me harms himself. Uh, all who hate me love death. This, wow. That, this is also in Proverbs chapter 8. And everything I just read to you is verses 34 through 36. Proverbs 8, verses 34 through 36. And this is God saying, I'll tell you who has wisdom is the man who, who, who listens to me. A man who listens to me and understands, and we're going to get, I mean, Solomon in, in this book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to unpack a little bit today. Some of you already know that book pretty well. You know we're going to get to the end of it, and Solomon's going to say, look, it's, 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 it all is tied up in this, and, and we'll get to that, but it's, it's similar to what God is saying here in Proverbs. So the emphasis throughout is upon God's readiness to give wisdom. So, so uh, you know, like wisdom's readiness to give herself uh, to all who seek wisdom from God. He's not going to withhold wisdom. The problem is we rarely seek him for, 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 for the wisdom that he will allow us to attain. We're always seeking wisdom from other places 
when, and all of that will always be flawed. I mean, there, the bottom line is if you reject God and you rebel against God, you may have knowledge, but you'll never have wisdom because true wisdom only comes from God um, because he does everything perfectly. Um, and, and then we see this also in the New Testament. You know, this is not just an Old Testament concept. Uh, this is one of the verses that I try to apply to my, le- to my life because I spent embarrassingly too much of my life not adhering to what the, the writer, I mean, Paul said to, to Ephesus uh, when he's writing to the Ephesians, Paul says, live not as the unwise, but as the wise. Rick, don't go around and live the way unwise people live. Uh, you want to live as the wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, that is in Ephesians 5. Uh, this is a great verse to, to add to your list of life verses. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Also in Colossians 4, verse 5, Paul again, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Um, look at Colossians 1, 9. Prayer is made that wisdom may be supplied to them, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom. And then James uh, says this. He makes a promise. If anyone, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God and it will be given to him. That's James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Say that again. James chapter 1, verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God for it. Can I ask you this? That's the thing that Solomon asked for. Now, he he made mistakes, as we're going to find. Ecclesiastes, I, I, the first time I heard someone refer to it this way, I thought, man, that, that's really true, because it is a book of wisdom. But I'll tell you why it, it has wisdom, is it's also a book of, of Solomon's repentance. Solomon is repenting of the fact that he didn't use the God-given wisdom that he had access to. He went his own way and decided he would try everything the world had to offer, so really, he begins to repent of that stupidity. And I've certainly had to do that myself. So where can we find wisdom? We ask God for wisdom. Where does it come from? What steps must a person take to lay hold of this gift? Here are two prerequisites um, according to Scripture. And this is one of them that, that, we'll, that we will land on today, but let's go ahead and hit it hard. Number one, uh, one prerequisite that we must have in order to attain wisdom from God, we must learn to revere God. We must have reverence for God. Uh, what, what does it say? Um, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see that in Proverbs 9, uh, verse 10, uh, also in Psalms uh, 111, verse 10. So and we also see uh, Job 28, 28, uh, Proverbs 1, 7, uh, Proverbs 15, 33. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, you've heard me use this analogy before involving my, my father, my earthly father, who was um, very authoritative and was to be feared. And I don't mean that like he abused us or terrified us. or uh, No, he, he actually did not. He, he loved us and and I have no weird relationship with my dad. Uh, I have a great relationship with my dad. And I understood, because he always explained it, 
uh, that and uh, that my fear of his authority and my fear of my mother's authority uh, was going to serve me well. Uh, and he said, as a football coach, when asked, uh, you know, why did he coach the way he did, and what was this uh, this the, the biggest step for his program to be successful? He said, well, the biggest step is that I first establish in the players a fear of me, because until they fear me, I really can't. I can't, I can't do anything with them. Uh, I can't turn them into men if they don't first fear my authority. And you see in our society we live in, once authority is taken away, uh, then it, it turns into chaos. And so the ultimate uh, authority is the Lord himself. So if anyone says they are want to be wise, but they don't fear the Lord, they're an idiot. I mean, they may be knowledgeable and they may be smart, and intelligence, the way the world defines intelligence and knowledge, uh, but um, but they they have no wisdom because they they didn't get started on the very first step, and that is to have fear of the Lord. Not till we have become humble and teachable. That's what my dad was talking about. Until these players uh, fear my authority, I can't teach them anything. They're not coachable. Let me ask you this: Are you coachable? You ever, you ever had to deal with people that are not coachable? Boy, you talk about frustration. And, and, and God says, well, people who don't fear me are not coachable. They're not teachable. I can't teach them anything because they don't have the proper respect for me. And so we need to be humble and teachable, standing in all, in A-W-E, in all of God's holiness and his sovereignty, in all of it. What do you see in in Acts when we establish the new church? Here's the new covenant. Here's the new church. Acts chapter 2. It talks about all the things the new church was doing. And you know what one of them said? They were continually in all, A-W-E, of God, and he added to their numbers daily. So there was a continue, And I'm going to tell you, we've lost it. I I got a chance to speak to a, a metro conference of worship leaders, and when I first found out I was speaking to worship leaders and their wives, I was like, this, is it, who, who booked me for this? Uh, me coming to speak to worship leaders? Should, shouldn't they be sending, you know, uh, which I know one of my dear friends and, and uh, Eddie Van Adler's dad, Michael Adler, speaks at Metro events all the time. And I thought to myself, did they, did they not know about that? And so there were some worship leaders who were coming, but they asked me to come too. And they said, I want you to come in, certainly do some entertaining, but I want you to address you know, these uh, these worship leaders and their wives and whatever God puts on your heart. And the thing he put on my heart is, you, the worship leader, let me tell you what your, your, your number one job is, is to make sure that you are presenting praise and worship in a way that puts the church in awe of God. Because until we're in awe of God, we don't really appreciate uh, redemption. Uh, we don't really understand uh, about what it means to sin against him, because if we are, or if we're allowed to continue to make him, you know, the big man upstairs, we our sin doesn't really, we're not really under conviction. But if you usher us into the proper worship of the one and only living and holy God, holy, 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 and I find myself in awe of God, I begin to come under uh, conviction, and I begin to realize how wretched I am to the point as I stand in awe of him, and I feel wretched, and I regret, and I'm apologetic, and I repent of ever sinning against him. 
But if I've never ushered into a position of being in awe of God, then I don't think he's any big deal. I don't fear him. Uh, I don't take my sin serious. I have no desire for holiness, sanctification. So it's important that we are completely humble, teachable, and stand in awe of God's holiness and his sovereignty. The great and awesome God is what Nehemiah calls him in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. And then you also see Nehemiah 4.14, 9.32, uh, Deuteronomy 7.21, Deuteronomy 10.17, Psalms 99, uh, verse 3, Jeremiah uh, chapter 20, verse 11. So in all these verses that I just gave you, uh, they're acknowledging how little we are, how little we can trust our own thoughts, and we have to be willing to have our minds turned upside down so that divine wisdom can become ours. So the first thing we have to do is tell our wisdom to take a hike and let's go pursue his wisdom. It is to be feared that many Christians spend all their lives in too unhumbled and conceited a frame of mind. And the reason why if you refuse to be humble and you are conceited, and you keep that frame of mind, you will never gain wisdom from God at all. It won't happen. And that's probably why we continue to do stupid things. Scripture says, with the lowly is wisdom. That's Proverbs 11, verse 2. Write that down. Proverbs 11, verse 2. With the lowly, that's those that have wisdom. Those who, as my brother would say, shut their hole and they know their role. We know God so so well that we know we're not him. And we understand our limits of wisdom so well, we turn our minds upside down in pursuit of his wisdom. So the first thing is a prerequisite uh, to, to gaining wisdom from God is we must revere God. We must, we must fear God. Second. We must learn to receive God's word. We must learn to receive God's word. If you're listening on the podcast archive, I'm holding up a copy of God's word. We got to know this. Wisdom is definely wrought in those and those only who apply themselves to God's revelation. Your commandments, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, declares the psalmist. I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? For I meditate on your statutes. That's Psalms 119, and that's a big one. It goes on and on. Psalms 119, that's verse 98 and 99. 98 and 99. Read it today. The reason why I have more insight than my teachers, the reason why uh, I'm wiser than my enemies is because I meditate on your commands. I meditate on your statutes. It's impossible for you to meditate on God's statutes if you've never learned what God's statutes actually are. It's impossible. So Paul admonishes the Colossians when he says that they are, they're failing at this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Colossians 3.16. Write that down. 
So here in, in modern times, how do we do this? Well, by soaking ourselves in the Scriptures, which as Paul told Timothy, and he had in mind the Old Testament alone, he said to Timothy that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ and to make us thoroughly equipped for every good work. This last letter to Timothy from Paul, remember he's telling him in chapter 3, and this is verse 15 through 17, if you don't know the word, then you're not equipped to do good work. You're not equipped for the moment. You're not equipped for the time. Don't walk as the unwise. Walk as the wise and be aware of the Lord's will. How do I know God's will if I don't know anything about his word? I have to revere God, but it's hard for me to revere the God that I've never known about. I must dwell on his statutes. Well, I must know his statutes. Again, it is to be feared that many today who profess to be Christ, meaning a Christian, never learn wisdom, mainly through the failure to attend sufficiently to God's written word. So I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. And it's going to apply to me, too, because this had to change in my life. And I will tell you, it has changed. But you know what? It's it's, None of us have ever arrived. And I haven't arrived. I've still got much work to do. Because there was a lot in me to fix. And I've got a lot more to learn about the Bible. And I continue to learn and be teachable and coachable. And when someone hears me handle the word uh, incorrectly, or maybe they say, yeah, I understand where you're going, but you may not know that in this, I don't mind being corrected. Because if I'm corrected, then that person is trying to help me if they're biblically sound. Do you spend as much time with the Bible each day as you do with anything else you deem of value? I mean, when you're sitting there and you've gone out and decided you're going to spend time studying or reading some book by some author or maybe something to do with politics or something to do with some love story or something like that, you know, as long as there's, they're not sinful, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently evil as long as you're not reading stuff that, that blasphemes God or you're reading something that's nasty and pornographic or anything like that. If you're just reading something that is secular uh, and, and it doesn't, it's not sinful, that's all right. But the question I would ask is, are you spending more time on those things than you are the Bible? Because I can assure you whatever you're reading is not more valuable than the Bible. I can assure you of that. So that's the question that we must ask ourselves. So what wisdom is not? Okay, and this, this, is, this in, the, in the book is, um, I'm just going to kind of nutshell this for you for time uh, because it, it, he gives a lot of examples, but uh, that kind of goes on and on, and you can read that if you have a copy of the book. But the bottom line, he says, here's what wisdom is not, trying to find every detail in every situation that God did this, and that means that, that, that this is next, and that wisdom is to know the attributes of God and to apply them to the situation, not to be in this constant search that you think you can figure out every little thing that God is doing and every detail of, of all things. That is actually not wise because it's going to bog you down. What you do is you say, I know the attributes of God, so when I see this situation, I know his attributes and I've sought the wisdom of God, so I look at this situation and I go, that's... That's in God's character for that, 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 or that's not in God's character, so he's not there. 
as opposed to trying to get into every, uh, have you ever heard the term analysis paralysis, of trying to think that you can figure out every single thing that God is doing. We are not God, so you can't. What you do is you, you cling to the things about God that you know and the answers that he has made available to you. And I think sometimes, and I'm learning a lot in a Bible study I'm in now, I think one of the places where we make this mistake a lot is the is the Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation. I think some of the stuff people are doing there, you're just wrapping yourself in a bunch of in a bunch of circles and pretzels, and a lot of things you're trying to puzzles you're trying to put together. I don't think you have right. Uh, I've been guilty of this because what you need to do is step back a minute and realize the very first verse in the book of the Revelation says that ultimately John is seeing a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's again, it's again, it's about trying to say, I see Jesus in his glorified state, and this is Jesus. And and that's really where you need to spend your time in studying scriptures as opposed to, you know, getting chasing a bunch of prophecy stuff here and a bunch of this, and God's doing this, so that domino kicks that domino and that domino and that domino. So that that's where we come up with all these people that come up with all these false uh, prophetic words, which mean that means they're not prophetic at all is they sat down and put together a bunch of pieces of puzzles, and once again, God showed that they don't know what, as much as they think they do. What we really do is to, to cling to the attributes of God, cling to the characteristics of God. Uh, that's where we need to land, and that's wisdom of knowing God so well, you realize you're not Him, and that you're not going to fully be able to, to, to wrap your mind around every single detail and of what He's doing uh, to 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 the minutest point, uh, that can get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, so so focus on who he is. That will help you to understand the things that he is doing. Um, so, you know, this is that like where people get bogged down on you know these hidden things in the Bible, you know, uh, these hidden numbers and and this and that. Be careful of that kind of stuff. Uh, that 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 right there can actually not be wise. Uh, you know, God reveals who he is, and that's what's most important of us grasping what he is clearly revealing to us. So we need to have a realistic attitude. Uh, realism is needing. Uh, what does it mean for God to give us wisdom? What kind of gift is it? Uh, wisdom will not go with comfort, comforting illusions or, or false sentiment or the use of rose-colored glasses. Most of us live in a dream world with our head in the clouds and our feet off the ground, we never see the world and our lives in it as they really are. The deep-seated sin-bred unrealism is one reason why there is so little wisdom among us, even the soundest and most orthodox of us. It takes more than sound doctrine to cure us of unrealism. This is, however, uh, one book in Scripture, which we're going to do next, that is expressly designed to turn us into realists, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon really begins to hand out um, quite a bit of realism and remind us that if you think you're going to try to create heaven on earth, you you you, you lack wisdom. Uh, it, uh, I'm telling you. Uh, you, you need to, to you need to the basic things with God and his attributes um uh, are, are most important. It, it says, and he uses this analogy of trying to drive a car. You know, the the most important thing you need to know about driving a car is that you need to drive the car 
in an alert, safe way and be ready uh, for what, what's currently in front of you as opposed to constantly thinking about things that are way on down the road. You better con- Jesus tried to teach us this. You better concentrate on today. Look at what is in front of you. And, and Solomon clears this up in what, what I said is really his book of repentance, and that is Ecclesiastes. Uh, this, this is a book, um, uh, you know, the, the word that, uh, that we see here, um, the, the, the words of the preacher, which is in chapter 1, verse 1, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. We know this is Solomon. This word preacher, um, you know, is, uh, is a Hebrew word uh, that is used there, but that's what it means. Uh, it means the preacher. Uh, and uh, he's talking about vanities of vanities. Solomon's teaching lessons that due to his life and the opportunities that God allowed him with his wealth and access to the things of the world, Solomon says, I, I was positioned by God to uniquely learn things that I can pass along to you. And, and I think we need to learn. You know, I think we all can learn from people that say, look, I've gone ahead of you. I've done this, and let me tell you where it leads. I've done this, let me tell you where it leads. I can tell you how that's going to turn out. I can't tell you the times that, that uh, my children, I can remember I was sitting here fishing one day with one of my sons, and he was asking about something that, uh, what I thought about it. And I said, well, if you do this, uh, which I don't think you should do, but if you do this, you know, and I, it's, it, it was personal, but I said, I can tell you how that's going to end up. And he listened, and he did not apply it. Uh, so he did it anyway, and it turned out exactly the way I told him it would. And he came back to me and said, wow, Dad, it, 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 I made the decision you told me not to make, and the end result was exactly what you said would happen. And I said, well, you know why? Because I've been there. <laughs> I've made stupid decisions, so I can tell you how that's going to turn out. Well, Solomon is doing that. It, it is the confession uh, I'll tell you what, so the question is, is it a confession of an embittered cynic, a selfish, callous old man of the world who, who found at the end nothing but dire, uh, a dire delusionment? Um, uh, this is W.H. Elliott asked this question. Is he seeking to share with us uh, his sense of cheapness and, and nastiness of life, or, or is he an evangelist trying to bring home to the unbeliever the impossibility of finding happiness under the sun apart from God, well, the truth of it all is it's really neither. Neither one of those really describe what Solomon hopes to do here in Ecclesiastes. The author speaks as a mature teacher giving a young disciple the fruits of his long experience and reflection. And you find that in Ecclesiastes. He lays that out in chapter 11, uh, verse 9, chapter 12, verse 1, and also again in chapter 12, in verse 12. He wants to, to lead this young believer into true wisdom and keep him from falling, uh, you know, into the mistakes that he's made. Uh, apparently, the young man, like, like many cents, was inclined to equate wisdom with wide knowledge and to suppose that one gains wisdom simply uh, by studying books. And you see Solomon shooting that down in chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, clearly, he took it for granted that wisdom uh, when he gained it, would tell him the reasons of God's various doings in the ordinary course of providence. What the preacher, Solomon, wants to show this young man and, and us is that the real basis, um, much uh, the, the real basics of, of what's happening of wisdom is a frank knowledge that this world's course uh, 
and much of what happens here on this earth uh, is is not good, and that most occurrences under the sun uh, bear no outward sign of a rational, moral God ordering them at all. Saying, look, if you're trying to find sense in the world, you're going to be grossly disappointed because the world's fallen and the world has turned away from the wisdom of God. So really, when you look around all the things that are going on under the sun, this is a term that Solomon uses, um, you will be disillusioned quickly because it, it, it will look like it doesn't make any sense or there's any reason for anything. Uh, so the preacher says, look at the sort of world we live in. Now, why don't we do that? Look at the world we live in. He says, take off your rose-colored glasses, rub your eyes, and look at it long and hard, and what do you see? You see life's background set by aimlessly reoccurring cycles in nature. He talks about this in, in chapter 1. Listen to verses 4 through 7. He says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes, it, goes, uh, it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. So you, you see this just goes on and on and on. He says, if you look at the cycles in nature, they just seem to be reoccurring and nothing seems to change. You see its shape fixed by times and circumstances over which we have no control. Uh, he talks about this in chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, uh, chapter 9, 11 through 12. You see death coming to everyone sooner or later, but, but it looks like it's kind of coming haphazard. Its coming bears no relation to whether it's deserved. Uh, chapter 7, 15, chapter 8, verse 8, he said humans die like beasts do. Chapter 3, 19 and 20, good ones die, uh, uh, bad ones die, uh, uh, wise people look like fools. Chapter 2, verse 14, uh, 16, chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. He says, you see evil running rampant. Does this sound familiar? He talks about this in chapter 16, uh, of, verse, of chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 16. He says, you see evil running rapid. Uh, also in chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 3. The wicked prosper and the good don't. He talks about this when you look at it. You ever see that? Why do these wicked people do so well? And then I see people that I think are good. Of course, you might want to pay attention to that. You think uh, that somehow the standard of good is something that, that we've come up with. And Solomon says it's hard to understand that in chapter 8, verse 14. Seeing all this, you realize that God's ordering of events is inscrutable. Much as you want to make it out, you cannot do so. Uh, he, he says, the harder you try to understand the divine purpose in the ordinary providential course of events, the more obsessed and oppressed you grow with the apparent aimlessness of everything, and the more you are tempted to conclude that life really is as pointless as it looks. But once you conclude that there really is no rhyme or reason in things, what profit, value, gain, point, purpose can you find in any sort of constructive endeavor? Solomon goes on about this in chapter 1, verse 3, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 3, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 16. 
I'll tell you what he says uh, in 3 of chapter 1. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does it even matter? So if life is senseless, then it is valueless. In that case, what use is it working to create things, to build a business, to make money, even to seek wisdom? For none of this can do anything uh, and do you any obvious good. It will only make you an object of envy, chapter 4, verse 4. You can't take any of it with you, chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 5, 15 and 16. And what you leave behind will probably be mismanaged after you're gone. He says this in chapter 2, verse 19. What point there there is there in sweating and toiling at anything? Must not all our work be judged vanity, emptiness, frustration, a striving and a chasing after the wind, he calls it, in verse 14 of, of chapter 1? Activity that we cannot justify as being either significant and in itself are worthwhile to us. Now, this sounds pessimistic, but there's an optimistic expectation of finding the divine purpose of everything will ultimately lead you. See, see, that's the point that Solomon is, is making in Ecclesiastes. It sounds all pessimistic, but what he's trying to do is say, God uniquely put me in a position I mean, it, it, it said that, that Solomon's wealth was envied, that even when the queen of Sheba showed up, she was embarrassed how little she had compared to what Solomon had. Uh, it says that Solomon had so many women that if he were to spend intimate time, I'll be very gentle with this, with one of them, and never came back to that uh, that woman until he had gone through all the other women he had at least once, it would be three years before she saw him again. He said, I had everything that the world says you're supposed to have. Solomon was the original Michael Jackson. Solomon was the original fill-in-the-blank of these people that achieve everything the world says should make you feel fulfilled, should make you happy, should make you content. And you know what conclusion they came to? The same one Solomon did. It's all like chasing after the wind. Uh, You've heard the story of of, uh, uh, Harrison Ford at the height of when he was wanting to, every single movie anybody was making, they were calling him. He went from being a carpenter I, I, with no work and, and no prospect of work in acting to being one of the most sought-after actors in the world. We as human beings would say, man, I'd love to live the life of Harrison Ford. But then when he was asked by a reporter one time, as he was looking out the window of his hotel, he said, you've accomplished all these things. Is there anything that you don't have? And the reporter said that Harrison Ford looked out the window and he said, yeah, I don't have peace. Is this is this all there is? I mean, how many more blockbusters can one person have? How much more money can one person have? How many more women and wives and how, uh, can one have? How many more houses? How many more cars? How, 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 how much more adulation or prestige? But he was realizing, just like Solomon did, I've had everything that the world could possibly offer and I got to tell you something, 
It's like chasing after the wind. But this is not meant to be pessimistic and to make us all feel down and out. It's, it's, it's meant to have us adjust and, and learn from Solomon or maybe learn from these other people that I just talked about that experience the same thing. If you're looking for fulfillment and peace and contentment in the world and not God, you're going to be left in nothing but disillusionment. You're going to be, you're going to be so delusional and so disenfranchised and so disappointed So don't look for it there. Think about that. Think about the most, the greatest day you've ever had in in this earth. Look, John MacArthur said it best, you know, disputing the ridiculous book by Joel Osteen, Your Best Life Now. John MacArthur put it spot on. C.S. Lewis also covered this in a different way. C.S. Lewis said it a little more subtle. Uh, John MacArthur cut right to the chase, as he tends to do. He said, the only people on this earth that are living their best life now are going to hell. Because there's nothing in this world that is better than what awaits the redeemed. There's nothing in this world better than those of us that, that are redeemed, and we're not, we're not even dead yet, still have to fight the struggle of this life, but we know God. I, I mean, I know on my worst day, that because of God and my redemption, everything really is going to be all right. For truth is that God is his wisdom to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he is working out in the churches and in our lives. All thou knoweth, knowest not what is the way of the wind, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so, thou knowest not the work of God who doeth all. So what in that case is wisdom? Well, this is where the plane gets landed, and I'm, you know, it's one of these things, if you're studying the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm about to, you know, and I have a reputation on, on our radio show of ruining the ending to movies and TV shows. I'm about to ruin the ending. But I don't know about you, I want it. And Solomon cut, pulls no punches, and he outlines wisdom at the very end of chapter 12, verse 13. Because if you have it, let's turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. So we know that he's established that he's tried everything that the world has to offer, and he's found it to be fleeting and like chasing after the wind. So he gets down to the end of it all, and he says in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I've learned it. It's not out there. It's not here. It's not on this earth. It's not wealth. It's not women. 
It's not drugs. It's not wine. It's it, it's not prestige. It's not power. It's not temples. It's not houses. It's not all these things. I want you to think about that. Think about Solomon and all that he had, and then think about Peter and John talking to the beggar in the book of Acts and the beggars wanting money. And Peter and John said, silver or gold, we don't have. Solomon did. But see, what Peter and John offer the beggar is exactly what Solomon learned at the end of his life. Peter and John said, silver or gold, we do not have. But we will give you what we do have. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. We'll give you Jesus. And see, the world may not think much of you, but God does. As a matter of fact, God thought that you were of such value that he would make you redeemed and give you access back to the characteristics that he had afforded us at the beginning of our creation. I I will give you back righteousness. I will give you back holiness. I will give you back goodness. I will give you back truth. I'll do it for you if you'll just receive it back from me. And he does that to the kings, and he does that to the paupers. Because at the foot of that cross, everybody is equal. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the whole duty of man. Trust and obey him, reverence him, worship him, be humble before him. Never say more than you mean. And we'll stand to you when you pray to him. Do good. Remember the call will someday take account of you. God knows the things that we do in secret, which we will be ashamed of when they come to light. Chapter 12, verse 14, he says this. Live in the present and enjoy it thoroughly. Chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 11. Present pleasures are God's good gifts. This is not a call for us to be, you know, super spiritual bores. It's not that at all. Too proud or too pious even for a laugh or to have fun. That's not what we're talking about here. Yes, we shouldn't be flippant about our life. And Solomon talks about this in chapter 7, verse through 6. But he also says for us not to become too proud or pious and to seek grace, to work hard at whatever life calls us to, to enjoy the work that we do, just like we do here at this show. We enjoy what we do. Leave God to its issues. Let him measure its ultimate worth. Your part is to do all the good sense and enterprise at at your command and exploiting the opportunities that lie before you. That's in chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. So, So what does that mean? It means that whatever God has allowed you to do, it means that if the Rick and Bubba show, it's been around for 27 years, uh, but if it, ha- if it has done nothing to bring glory to God, it is to be enjoyed. It is to be appreciated. It is to be 
held up as something that we're thankful for, but if it doesn't point anyone to God, if, if this platform has not been used for that, then based on what Ecclesiastes says, it has been a monumental waste of time. It's like chasing after the wind. Have the guys on the show, sub, I mean, at different levels, but based on the rest of the world, have we done well the way the world sees it financially? Yeah. Um, I mean, really, if you're in the United States of America, you're already way ahead of most of the world on the blessings that you've been afforded. But I promise you, when they lay my body to rest, or when Jesus returns, whatever happens first, the things that the world applauded for or paid me for, they're not going to mean anything. It's going to be like chasing after the wind. And what will stand are the things that I participated in and the things that I sought that were eternal. That's all that's going to stand. Nothing else will matter. And what Solomon is trying to teach us, if we fear God and keep his commandments first and foremost foremost in our life, then you'll probably even enjoy the things that God has afforded you on any given day, as Paul said, hold them with open hands, and you'll probably, and I probably will enjoy them in the way they were always intended. For what is the wisdom that he gives? As we have seen, it is not a sharing in all of his knowledge, not all of it, but a, a disposition to confess that he, God, is wise. And then to cleave and to hang on to him and to live for him in the light of his word. And we do that through thick and thin. The New Testament tells us that the fruit of wisdom is Christ-likeness, peace and humility and love. Our brother James tells us that in James three seventeen, And the root of it is faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.18, 2 Timothy 3.12. And the manifested wisdom of God is found in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 and also verse 30. Thus the kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask him is a wisdom that will bind us to him. A wisdom that will find expression in a spirit of faith and a life of faithfulness. So what's wisdom? True wisdom. Not human wisdom, but true wisdom from God. To fear him and do what he says. And and then to submit to the authority of Christ who brings us back into the presence and to the communion with God where those characteristics of his that he did communicate to us, can once again be restored and given back just as they were intended when we were created. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this lesson on wisdom. It was a lot to take in. I pray that we'll stop. Hopefully, those that could make good notes and that we can go back and look at these things again. Thank you for, for Solomon 
learning lessons on our behalf that maybe if we'll just listen, we won't have to learn ourselves. I pray, Lord, if anyone in the audience today uh, is, has been moved to make adjustments in their life and maybe to seek a different kind of wisdom, we'll praise your holy name for that. Uh, Lord, help us to become more like you. And in a world that uh, may have access to knowledge, in a world full of people who are intelligent, then maybe we be more desiring to be people of wisdom, true wisdom that comes from you, by fearing you and just simply doing what you say. It's the whole duty of mankind. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com. Talk to you next week.